Welcome to the first official episode of Along the Gravel Road podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Barona. I wanted to introduce you a little bit to the concept behind this podcast and what you can expect in the upcoming weeks. And then we'll dive right into our first guest. So a couple years ago, I decided to openly talk about my journey with mental health, a journey that I had not expressed to anyone and really even understood myself. And it was when I started telling that story that it really changed the overall trajectory of my life in such a huge way um, that it, it led me to forming a nonprofit organization here in Baton Rouge for mental health awareness and support. And now I'm actually... In, school, in graduate school to get my mental health counseling degree so that I can do this for a living. Um, so with that being said, the, the views expressed in this podcast are not um, necessarily professional views unless we do have a professional mental health uh, practitioner on the show, which we'll, we'll tell you about if we do. Other than that, you can expect to hear a lot of personal experiences and advice um, and some of the stuff I will pull from my classes and things like that. But I just, you know, want to preface by saying that if you um, feel like you might need help, please seek help from a professional and don't necessarily rely on this podcast. Although we will share a lot of, um, like I said, personal stories, hopefully help you in your own uh, mental health uh, journey as well. So with that being said, the goal for um, what I really want to bring to the community to with this podcast, to the world with this podcast, is to be open about mental health in the same way that we are about our physical health, about our physical symptoms, like what, the way we talk about um, having a cold should also be how we're able to express to other people that maybe your anxiety is, is keeping you from attending an event or things like that. Um, and then secondly, for people who may not suffer, to be able to just get a greater understanding of what it's like to suffer from some of these issues um, on a daily basis. And lastly, it's to be able to offer a little bit of hope. You know, when I talked about what I was going through initially, I thought um, certainly whatever worked for me is going to work for everyone else. Uh, that was obviously a very naive point of view that I've since learned. Um, it's really, it's, it's about you know, making sure, you know, just like the nonprofit, you aren't alone. Um, and that's going to be obviously a common theme here. Uh, so with that being said, it won't take up too much more of your time. We'll jump right in with our first guest, Megan Simino. Megan is um, actually a friend of mine. Uh, we've known each other for a while now, but she uh, originally submitted her story of postpartum depression for our live art event, which launched the nonprofit, the You Aren't Alone Project. Um, and I knew immediately that I wanted to have her on the show to share that story because um, I know how impactful it can be and how hard it is, um, especially as a mother, to kind of talk about these issues. Um, so we really delve into what she went through, um, some of the resources that helped her, which we'll also share in the show notes. And really just like, you know, again, just making sure that all, you know, new moms, moms out there know that they're not alone on this journey of postpartum depression. It's very real. Um, it's very valid. And there is definitely hope um, to get through it. So I hope you all enjoy the show and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Hey, Megan. Hey. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. Um, so I want to jump right in here and 
ask you to just give us an, an introduction to kind of some of the things you've been through. I know we're going to talk a lot about um, postpartum depression and some, some pretty intense things. So if at any, any point you want to take a break or anything, just let me know. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, so basically, um, for starters, my, my journey with mental health actually started a really long time ago. Um, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety when I was about 16. So that was pretty much the extent of what I knew of um, mental health. But then uh, fast forward to life happening and, uh, you know, getting married and having kids and had no issues with kid number one, kid number two. And then kid number three was a doozy. <laughs> and... Um, I pretty much knew something was different probably around like week 27 or 28 of my pregnancy. Actually, people, most people think that postpartum depression really only starts to affect you after um, you deliver. Uh, but I really started to feel different during this pregnancy. Like I wasn't really as happy and sort of started to, even though, you know, we tried for him, um, took us almost a year to get pregnant. Uh, I started to almost regret my pregnancy and like, what did I do? Like, why did I do this? And, um, you know, we had two really healthy kids, like, what am I doing? And so the further along I got in my pregnancy, um, I, I realized like something was very, very different. And, uh, so when I delivered him, um, you know, you kind of have a rush of emotions when you deliver a baby anyways. Everything's just chaotic and crazy. And most moms out there will definitely relate to that situation of like, everything's kind of a whirlwind. It's a blur. You have a new baby. And if you, if it's not your first new baby and you have other kids in the house, things are just crazy. And so I just kept telling myself, even though I'm a nurse and I should know better, I just kept telling myself like, this is normal. It's just like third kid. Like you're just going crazy. Um, but I found myself just kind of like sleeping a lot and like not even hearing him cry. You know, my husband, Jim would walk in and be like, do you even hear him? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's crying. Yeah. Like, huh? And, um, you know, we struggled a lot with like the normal struggles, like, you know, moms who struggle to breastfeed, like props to moms who can, because I was not one of them. And, um, you know, I tried my hardest but didn't work out for me. And, uh, that just kind of adds to the struggle when you really want to, and you're already emotional and your hormones are everywhere and you try really hard and it just doesn't work out for you. Um, so you beat yourself up about it and you have a lot of mom guilt about it. So I kind of blame some of those feelings on that too. I'm like, you know, I really, really wanted to do this and I can't do this. So I'm upset about it. Just leave me alone. And, um, so at that point it became where he could help me with the baby because I wasn't, able to breastfeed. So I would I kind of take advantage of that situation, I guess, and um, let him help like a whole lot more. And then finally, I would say we were, I don't know, two months in to uh, why I was about two months old. And Jim was like, are you depressed? Like, what is going on with you? Like, something's different. This is not the same. And I like barked back at him, I snapped. And I was like, I'm not depressed. I have three kids. I'm freaking tired. And I like slammed the door in his face and then I like laid there and I thought about it and I was like, Oh God, I am. 
like some, this is different. Like something is really wrong here. Like this didn't happen with the first two kids. Like I didn't even feel an emotional connection to Wyatt. I remember looking at him and just being like, I don't want to hurt you, but I kind of wish you would disappear. Mm-hmm. And it was so like in that moment when I realized it and just kind of accepted it, I was like, how could I be like a nurse and like the biggest advocate for mental health? Like it's one of my soapboxes and I was like the worst patient. I'm like, I wouldn't accept like that's never going to happen to me. And then I just got slapped in the face with it and was like, Whoa, okay. Something's really wrong. We need to admit this. Like this is wrong. So that's kind of how that situation evolved in, uh, and I accepted it. So, yeah. and once you once you have that realization, and you know, I think it's interesting too, because like even for me, especially now that I'm getting into mental health counseling, like the profession and things, it's like I, once when you're going through it, you can't ide- necessarily identify what's happening until you're out of it. And so, I think that's something a lot of people struggle with. Is like, why didn't I know that I was feeling this way? Like, I should have been able to, especially if you are aware of the signs and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so that's a hard thing sometimes to, to just like understand and be okay with. Um, so what happened after you, you accepted it or, you know, had that realization? So um, once I finally accepted it and um, sat down with Jim and I was like, you know what, you're right. Uh, I am depressed and I'm, I'm like a hundred percent sure that it's postpartum depression Um, I called our uh, family practitioner that I knew um, because I still I had just I had already gone to my six week checkup with my um, OBGYN. And, you know, that's that's a whole that's a whole nother subject that I'm like, I'm actually working on with her and my therapist that we can talk about later. But um, I didn't say anything to her because I still was in denial. So. Um, but I also wasn't prompted by certain questions, I guess, to screen me appropriately for postpartum depression. But like I said, whole nother monster. But I called my um, family practitioner. I was like, listen, I got to come in. We need to talk. Uh, and her and I are actually friends. Um, she's a nurse practitioner. And I sat down with her and I was like, listen, I know I have postpartum depression. Like, where do I go? What do I do? Um, and so we started talking She's like, okay, well, you're clearly not sleeping, but I can't give you sleeping pills. You still have a baby that's waking up in the middle of the night. Um, you know, so we started on this journey of like trying to find the right medication, um, while I was also researching other options, um, for therapy to try to get into some kind of program, like something that I could do to like, just tackle this beast head on because I have three children that need me I have a husband that needs me. Um, and little did I know how deep and dark the situation was really going to get. Um, cause I was just like on the outskirts of it, you know, just figuring it out. And, uh, I even, I went as far as to find this place in Arizona, which was like this top rated, uh, postpartum depression therapy retreat center, like 28 day, almost like a rehab, like check yourself in, um, 
ultimately decided that wasn't a good idea for me because I didn't think that I could be away from my children and my family for that long. Um, but I ended up finally finding Dr. Rennie Bruno in Baton Rouge, who is phenomenal. Um, this is like her specialty. She sits on the board of Women's Hospital. She is absolutely amazing. She specializes in uh, women's reproductive mental health issues, and she is, she saved my life. I was, she saved my life. Um, so I finally started to see her on a regular basis. I was seeing her, um, God, sometimes twice a week, but at least once a week for almost a year, um, talking about things and this and the, the greatest part about it is that she is a psychiatrist, so she's also an MD, um, which means that she fully understands the physiology and the psychology and how they work together. So the, the hormonal imbalance and the shift and this massive um, thing that happens with your body when you deliver a baby and all of the hormones and then what that does to your psychology, if maybe there was something there that got triggered. Um, and for me, it was that I had, um, I've been through, you know, a fairly decent amount of trauma in my life. And my survival mode is just straight, like head, eyes forward, head down, keep moving. Like I can do it myself. I can get through it. It's fine. It's okay. I remember the first time that I sat in her office and she asked me, you know, like, well, tell me about your childhood, tell me about your life, tell me, you know, like basic therapist things and um, telling her about like the accident that I got into when I was 17 and I lost a kidney and I couldn't play softball anymore. And she's like, well, what'd you do with that? And I'm like, what do you mean? I went to college. And I went to LSU. And she's like, what? And I'm like, what was I supposed to do with it? You know? And she's like, okay, no. We have to, we have to deal with this. <laughs> we have to work through these things. I think this is why you had like a absolute nuclear meltdown. <laughs> like mm. you didn't deal with anything, um, you know. So I had a lot of work to do, and I and I put in a lot of work. And I'm like a firm believer in therapy. I think therapy is an amazing, amazing tool. Like I believe in medication for sure, but um, but therapy. Oh man. I still see her like, I still yeah. see her like every other week. And I mean, my son Wyatt is going to be two tomorrow. So, uh, you know, I'm still going through this battle. I'm still doing it. And I just, um, I just always felt like I needed to be open and honest about it. When I figured it out, when I realized what was happening, um, I felt like no one ever talked about it. And yeah. I had no, there was no one out there for me to reach out to. There was no one out there that I could turn to for advice because I didn't know anyone who'd ever gone through it or so mm -hmm. I thought. You thought exactly. Um, and so <laughs> uh, I was like, you know, I, uh, I feel like I need to be open and honest about what I'm going through. And so I was. And so, you know, I started to blog about it and I started to talk about it and I started to be really honest about what we were going through and the things that I was feeling and that I was going to therapy and that I was on medication and that, um, you know, this is a real, real thing and, you know, check on your friends and the statistics are supposedly one in seven. And, and then I learned that our local women's hospital delivers, you know, 
14 babies a day. And then like, that means two moms a day are walking out of there and going home and fighting postpartum depression, according to the statistics And I'm like, check on your mommy friends. Like we're not okay. Uh, like this is, it's not okay. And, um, and then the, the response that I got was absolutely overwhelming. And, you know, most of them were private messages and most of them were DMs and that's okay. Um, you know, you don't have to be bold and share your story, but it made me feel so incredibly unalone. Like, you know, like I'm not alone in this, but that's the things that they were telling me. You made me feel like I'm not crazy. You made me feel like I'm not alone. You know, I went through this and I had no one to talk to. And I'm just like, I don't understand why we don't talk about this. Like, why, why don't we talk about this? Like, this is a real thing. And then it's not only a real thing as in it affects us, but it affects our partners too. Um, Because my husband, Jim had to step up in an absolutely unbelievable way. I mean, we already had two kids. Then we had a baby that I was physically incapable of taking care of because I couldn't take care of myself. Yeah. Um, in the deepest, darkest depths of that depression, I could barely get out of bed. I took a shower after like maybe 11 days because my three-year-old was like, mommy stink. <laughs> you know, like I was like, oh really? Gosh, if my three-year-old's like, you stink, then I should listen to him. <laughs> and really, I mean, when we talk about having like a, a couple of different things, like when it comes to mental health is one is like the people going through it and knowing you're not alone. The other is people outside of that who are able to understand, you know, some part of what the people they care about are going through. And right. you had that with Jim. And do you think like if he wouldn't have really said anything, would that have changed? Like, how did that support system having him there help you? Um, having him there, it was everything because if, if I would have had to go through that alone and I, I will say like it, I pray for the people every day that I know who maybe don't have the most supportive spouse or significant other or are a single mom, maybe dealing with this, that it's probably even intensified because they don't have someone to rely on. I, I honestly can't tell you where I'd be right now. Like I have no idea where I'd be um, because it wasn't just Jim. It was my mom. It was my dad. It was his mom. It was his sister. It was his dad. And they can't all fully understand. They don't, they still don't understand. But what they did understand was that we needed them. And so if, you know, he worked shift work. So if he was working nights and I picked up the phone and called one of them and said, I can't do it. Somebody was here ready to pick up all three kids and go. Wow. Um, and so, you know, blessed beyond measure is the only way that I can describe my situation. And it was still hard for me. And so I pray every day for the people that don't have the village that I have because I am blessed more than I deserve to have what I had to get through what I still have. Because I mean, I'm, you know, two years into this and I'm leaps and bounds ahead of where I was. I am a stronger, different person. I have grown tremendously. I've learned so many things about myself and the way that I am able to handle this. But like, you know, you still have bad days. And sometimes you just, you just need help. And I, pray for the people out there who don't 
you don't have a support system. And so that's why I feel like I'm so glad that you're doing this. And I'm so glad that, you know, there are people out there like you who are willing to just like put it all out there. And like why I feel like I wanted when you ask me, I'm like chomping at the bit. I'm like, yes, I want to do this because like people need to know they're not alone. And like, no, I may not physically be near you and able to come and grab your kids from you, but like reach out, like send me a message, talk to me. Like I have been there and know what it feels like. You know, it's not easy and you're not alone. Like you're really, you know, we're all going through it. It's just, people just don't talk about it and we should. Absolutely. So I want to go back a little bit. You said that you were diagnosed um, with general anxiety disorder at 16. What did that, did you, well, what happened then? I mean, was there, because I know like even when I think about when I was younger, like I didn't even identify anything I was going through as a mental health issue until I was 28 when somebody said, hey, this is what it is. Um, and so I'm one, I always kind of wonder like, what if I had that diagnosis back then? Um, what would have been different? Um, so I'm wondering like, did that affect anything you did? Were you able to, I mean, you said that there was trauma that you didn't deal with until later until now. Um, so how did that kind of journey going back happen? And you know, what was that like? So being young and being a teenager, um, I was, like forced into therapy by my parents. It was like, uh, you're going to go do this and, um, got the diagnosis was given like personally now as a, like a healthcare professional, I think wrongfully given Xanax at my age and honestly did not enjoy it at all. Um, I remember taking it one time and being like, I feel like a zombie. I don't like this at all. Um, and like flushing the pills and never taking it again, never seeing that psychiatrist again. Um, being like, I'm never going back to therapy. Like I'm fine. I can deal with this. It's not a big deal. Um, not accepting it is like a real thing. And, and who wants to tell their friends like, Oh, I have a mental health condition. Like, you know, at, at 16, like that's not a, it's nothing, you know, like you don't want to tell anybody anything. And I honestly feel like I just kind of like pushed it down. And it's kind of one of the things that I had to like come face to face with again, is that like, I really have had this issue for a while. And before the postpartum depression, um, between Cohen and Wyatt to Cohen is my second child, but my first son, um, after that, after I delivered Cohen, I had a hard time adjusting to kids and that's kind of when my anxiety flared up to like a head, like a really, I was really snappy at my husband. Like when my anxiety gets really bad, it uh, manifests in like, just, I just like pop off. Like I'm just like, I'm impossible to deal with and I am snappy and I'm short and uh, I'm irritable and I can't like process things. And I realized that I was taking a lot out on him. And, um, that's when I reached out again and I actually started to take Lexapro in, uh, I want to say like 2016, right after Cohen was born. And so I was on, um, medication for my anxiety, uh, all the way 
through until I got pregnant for Wyatt. And then they changed me to, I'm drawing a blank. I don't remember what was safe for pregnancy. Hmm. Shame on me. Okay. <laughs> but there, was a, there was a medication that was like safe during pregnancy that I took, but it, I mean, it was like worthless, but I was, that was even the worst part is that I was like, um, I was pregnant and I was medicated, but it's still not okay. So I'm sure it'll come to me and I'll just like blurt it out at you in the middle of this podcast. I'm like, I remember. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't remember right now. Yeah, no, that's okay. And so that kind of brings us back to, um, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, again, I'm, I just, I don't know what it would have been like if I would have, if somebody would have said, like, if my parents would have said, you need to go see somebody, like, what I would have been, like, you know, felt differently about yeah. it than, you know, I was like, embarrassed. that this was on my own. Yeah. Yeah, I was, too. And I was 28. And, yeah, like, I felt weak for that. Um, but I could imagine, like, especially as a teenager, being, like, sort of forced into something. Um, and, yeah, the medication thing as a, you know, when you're young, especially when it comes to something like those anxiety medications, like saying so and things like that. So lost. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, one thing I do want to say as we're talking about medications is like, you know, not, not an MD. Um, we do talk about it here because I think it's a, a valid conversation to have a lot of, like when I first started kind of telling people, um, what worked for me, I was hesitant to say that I was on medication first, but I'm like, you know what, that's okay. Because for some people, medication is the way to go. I don't think it's the only way. I mean, I think you have to work together with, um, talk therapy and different things and wellness. Um, but I think we're not talking about it. People may not even consider that as an option or be afraid to even consider it because they think, Oh, that's not for, you know, that's for somebody much worse off than me, which was what I thought. Um, but I also think it's important to say, like, don't just try it because somebody else is, you know, it's, it's talk mm-hmm. to somebody, the professional. And I, um, you know, I openly admit that I took, um, you know, when I was going through a deep, dark place and my anxiety was at its worst, I took somebody else's, you know, Xanax or whatever it was, um, something like one of those type of things. And it was terrible. Um because that wasn't for me. Uh, and it actually brought me lo- to a lower place. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, like just thinking about if I were already in a really emotional state that you're in as a, you know, as a teenager and taking that, how probably bad it would have been um, yeah. for me. And just considering like what every, especially now, like what teenagers are going through. I think one thing that makes me feel that kind of good about it is like mental health. Like, it's almost like more uh, trendy now, which doesn't bother me in the least. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, I, I hate trends, but you know, that means that a teenager is not afraid to say like, right. I have, I'm feeling it's depressed. Bring awareness that I'm okay with it. Yeah. Totally. Okay with it. And so I think that gives me hope is like when we were younger, it wasn't like, it was something to be more, it felt like something to be ashamed of. I think kids now are like, 
I want to go to therapy and their parents are like, you want to what? You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like go baby girl, go. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing that we've talked about a couple times on here is like, if your kid is interested in, you know, going to therapy, don't dismiss it. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, I think people, and especially with having the resources now, like right on their phone. Um, yeah. To be able to say like, I just, I took a depression test and I need to go see somebody. Listen, you know, um, and so now that kind of brings us back to when you first went back or like you're seeing your OBGYN. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's an important topic, just like where the healthcare system places mental health. Yes. And so when I started to uh, see Dr. Bruno and she found out who my OBGYN is, she she loves her. I love my OBGYN, too. Um, but I will say that I think that we need better screening tools at the six week visit. We need better screening tools in, um, in the hospital, like post delivery, postpartum period. Um, and Dr. Bruno and I have talked extensively about this, that there are, um, studies that have been done in other countries that just giving the mom eight hours of uninterrupted sleep post delivery can drastically change the outcome of postpartum depression. Like not forcing like here. Okay. I'm, I want to call, I want to clarify. Sorry. (laughs) I am not anti breastfeeding. I am not anti skin um, to skin contact. I am not anti any of that. I'm all for it. But if you can get that done and then you can take babies to nursery and give mom sleep, like sleep is good for the brain. So many little things I feel like could have been done before I left the hospital or could have been done before I left my six week appointment. Um, like a questionnaire, things that could have been asked in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you go for six weeks, it's like, you know, you go, baby gets a checkup at one week. Um, baby gets a checkup at four weeks, one month visit. Baby gets a checkup at eight weeks. <laughs> Mommy gets six weeks and then mommy gets a year, you know, like what about mom? Like, yeah, we not care about mom. Like baby goes all the time when you get back Mm -hmm. to the, you know, when you get to mother baby postpartum, you know, they're checking you, they're checking for, you know, normal things, but it's baby, 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 baby. Okay. Mom, here's your pain pill. Have a good day. Mm -hmm. And what, and what's that, that message that it's giving to the mom is exactly you got to focus on your baby, not yourself. Precisely. There's no, there's no self care there. It's like, Oh, well, here's your peri bottle and your um, mesh underwear. Take care. How's baby, you know? And I mean, I know that's like in our society, it's that way too. It's like, Oh, I can't wait to get my hands on that baby. I can't wait to see that baby. That baby's so cute. What about mom? you know, and like, so then you bring baby for one week checkup and oh, baby's getting back to birth weight. Yay, baby. Okay. Thanks, pediatrician. What about mom? Like, you know, like I've been, I've been at home with this baby for a week. Do you care to know about me? Do you want to know if I'm eating? Do you want to know if I took a shower yet? Like, you know, I just, I yeah, yeah, I feel like during that process, nobody asked you. No. Yeah, nobody asked. 
nobody asks about mom. Every, it's all about baby. And I don't think it should not be about baby because obviously it's very important in their, you know, first couple of weeks of life to make sure that things are, you know, going along smoothly because that's, if something's wrong with baby, that's when you're going to find out, you know, and early intervention is, impo- is important. Um, but it, but it's not a pie. It, it doesn't no. have to be one or the other. <laughs> exactly. We're not They're taking not, away from baby by taking care of mom. Exactly. They don't have to exist apart from each other. You know, like we're a package deal. We came together, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Can't have one without the other. <laughs> right. I just spent nine months making this one. What about me? <laughs> um, no, I think that's it's so important. And, um, and it's the same way, I think, just in general, like we, we separate physical and mental health, or it has been in the past, like such a sep- two separate things. And I think that's another thing that I would love to see more of is like those two things being one, you know, like yeah. physical and mental health shouldn't, it's just health, you know, it's yeah. overall health. And that's, I want to speak to that about the medication because I wish people would view mental illness the same as they do diabetes or heart disease or any of those things because what contributes to mental health is an imbalance of chemicals in your brain so basically when I take medication which I I will openly admit to you that I am still taking the same dose of medication that I have been taking since February 12 2019 when I was diagnosed by the psychiatrist as having severe postpartum depression severe postpartum PTSD I am still taking that medication. I have not weaned off of it yet because Effexor is impossible to get off of. And it's very hard. And I had a hysterectomy in March. And she was like, we are not touching that. Like, you're having a hysterectomy. And that's enough hormone situations. We're not touching that. We'll we'll revisit this in six months. Um, diabetics take insulin because their bodies don't make enough. If you're depressed, if you're chemically unbalanced, if you have anxiety, you don't make the neurotransmitters necessary to do what needs to be done in your body. So you replace them. Store-bought neurotransmitters are just as good as the ones everybody else makes. So, like, you're not abnormal. There's nothing wrong with you. It's an illness. Period. There's nothing embarrassing about taking a store-bought neurotransmitter when the person who sleeps next to me every night makes his own. (laughs) It's okay. So it's just, it, it's an illness like every other illness and we need to treat it as such. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm happy to say that like I am seeing in like maybe not necessarily in our society, but in, um, in the corporate world, I guess, or like in, healthcare and things like that, it is starting to be treated that way because last year when I was really going through it and my maternity leave was over and I had to go back to work, I was only back at work for maybe three months. I was really having a hard time. Um, I probably had like eight panic attacks while I was at work and I just like, I couldn't be there. And I ended up filing for short-term disability um, and was granted short-term disability um, based off of my diagnosis of postpartum PTSD from Dr. Bruno and all the paperwork that she filled out. And uh, it actually ended up going over short-term and went to long-term. 
Um, and I was out and I was able to take uh, almost five months that I needed to be home and recover um, in the way that I needed to uh, because our <clears throat> insurance company validated me, essentially. Um, trusted in what my doctor gave them and granted me short and long-term disability pay to recover from my mental illness. And so I felt like that was a huge step in the right direction that I was able to not only file, but to be granted it. And like, it was a huge validation for me um, to be paid that way. So um, I feel like we are taking our country, our every, we're taking steps in the right direction, I think. Mm -hmm. So um, I just call it, I call it my breakdown in 2019, but short-term and long-term disability <laughs> paid for me. <laughs> Oh, it's so important. It is. So, and, the, and that, and in some way, that also revalidates, like, this is, yeah, like, real, I'm not, you know. I'm not like, crazy. Like, thank you. Yeah. You were pretty, like, do you know how long people have to fight for short and long-term disability? And I did, I had to do a little fighting because I feel like that's just, you know, par for the course when that's you file short-term disability. <laughs> but, um, you know, they approved it. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'm not crazy. Like, wow. Yep. Thank you. For understanding. Yeah, it, all, it all has to work together at some point. And it's, yes. it, is a, it is a mental game in some way at that. It's like, you know, it's that vicious cycle of like, okay, once it's, it's got to be almost validated at several different points for your, you to start accepting it yourself that, that yeah. this is, you know, I'm not crazy. Yeah, because um, I mean, I'm like, if I had broke my leg and, you know, broke my leg and needed surgery, you'd be like, oh, I'll sign here. And I'm like, I, to me, it's the same thing. Like, I, it's an illness. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's important. Yeah. And so the last thing I just want to kind of end with here, well, actually, I have, I have one final question that I, I ask everyone. But before that, um, I will, if you want, like, if you're feeling open to it, is to share a little bit more about how, in addition to getting, like, you know, the chemicals in your brain and, and you know, all of the neurotransmitters in, in the right place as you're dealing with the hormonal things, um, you talked about how it was so important also to identify trauma that you had not dealt with. Um, and so I think that's, again, the power of like how those two things work together is that not only are some of these chemicals off balance, but we also there are things in our past sometimes or in our present that are affecting, you know, our mental health. Yes. And I kind of just wanted you to share a little bit more about that, too, because I know a lot of people are probably in that same place. Yeah, we have um, <clears throat> we have a lot of built-in, I guess, defense mechanisms as humans anyways. And uh, trauma response for most of us is like mine, like head down, eyes forward, move on. Don't face it. Don't face your demons head on. Don't think about it. Bury it. Um, and there have been a lot of things in my past that I just really didn't deal with properly. Didn't face head on, didn't talk about with anybody, just kind of even so much so uh, to the point of saying like, oh, that happens to everybody. Mm. Like everybody has dealt with that, right? Um, <clears throat> like a small example being that all three of my um, deliveries were 
medical inductions for preeclampsia. Um, so preeclampsia being that I had high blood pressure while I was pregnant to the point of um, my kidney, which I only have one from that. Uh, another trauma when I was 17, when I was hit by a car and I lost a kidney, um, but I only have one. And so to the point to where my kidney was, um, about to fail, my kids were fine. Babies were fine. Growing on time, growing healthy. Um, all three of them were early, 37 weeks, 38 weeks, 36 weeks and five days. Um, but medical inductions. And so I never got the chance to go into labor on my own. Never had that feeling of like, you know, shaking Jim, like, Hey, it's baby time. Like, you know, just like, Hey, guess what? Uh, we're going to take this baby today because your kidney's about to fail. And so, um, you know, in my, in the back of my mind as a nurse, I'm thinking like, you know, this happens all the time. It's no big deal. And Dr. Bruno's like, that's traumatic. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's no big deal. And she's like, no, that's traumatic. Like, you know, those are traumatic births. Those are not, that's not what you set out to do in your head. Like, you know, you, nobody wants a medical forced induction of a baby. You know, nobody wants to be told that your child might spend some time in NICU because they're coming early. And, you know, but I'm like, this is just normal. Like people do that. It's fine. She's like, no, it's traumatic. We need to talk. I'm like, okay. You know, and then I'll go back to, you know, when I was 16, um, being taken advantage of at a party, drinking too much. I'm not going to blame myself anymore, but I had, I had blamed myself. Like I didn't say no loud enough or I didn't make myself clear enough or, you know, whatever. Well, you know what? I didn't, we had to talk about that. Um, my accident when I was 17 that I was at a party. Well, you know, maybe I should have been there. Maybe I shouldn't have been behind the truck or maybe I should have been, you know, like me justifying it. And she's like, no, let's talk about it. And I'm like, I talk about it. <laughs> you know, like, let's just move on. I just want to move on. Like, that's what I do. I just move on. And, you know, like my parents were divorced when I was an adult and my dad told me he was leaving my mom a month before my wedding. And she's like, well, what'd you do with that? And I'm like, I got married. And she's like, no, <laughs> let's talk about it. And, you know? And like, I feel like as a society, we're really just taught, like, suck it up and move on. And like, don't talk about your feelings. Don't have feelings. Just live your life. And like, no, we need to have feelings. Like, we well, need to somebody else it. has it so much worse. Right. You should just normal. Like, you know, first of all, don't compare yourself to anybody else because comparison is the thief of joy. And that is not okay. We are all different and we might all be in the same storm, but our boats are not the same and nobody's handling anything the same way. We're not built the same way. We're all different. That's what makes this beautiful world go round. So, you know what? Just don't, don't do that. And so it was just, you know, deal with it. Like I, I was just, my whole life was just taught, like deal with it, move forward, but like, don't. Like, actually really deal with it. Talk about it. Talk through it. Work through it. Deal with it. It's fine. Um, just don't don't think to yourself, like, everybody goes through this. They might, but they don't handle it the same way you do. So work through your emotions. You know? Like, yeah. it's just. I think that's, that's so important. It's so important to, to talk about. 
Um, because a, a lot of people are probably in that exact same space where they've been through. And even if, you know, it's really important to, I think, like, as I'm learning more about the field and talking more, we're, we're basically forced to have counseling sessions in, in the program, which is great. Um, cause I haven't personally, I haven't found a counselor that I like yet. Um, I'm still looking. Um, but I think too, it's like, even if you don't see it necessarily like something in your life as a traumatic event is having a person there to help walk you through that helps you identify those things and maybe identify how your mental health impacted that instance in your life. Um, And it's a really powerful thing. And and sometimes it's, it's the most important thing. Um, And so I think, you know, again, that's so important to have that, to be able to have that person to work through that with. Talk therapy is, is so important because you need somebody who's going to ask you the thought provoking questions. It's not been a part of your life this whole time. That's not been there for those situations that can look from the outside and be like, no, you really did go through something. Let's talk about it. So, And it's, it's not going to be easy. I think that's another thing is people no. think they're going to walk away from therapy feeling good. And that's not always the case, but mm-hmm. it doesn't some days, stop. No. Some days I walk yes. away feeling really good. And some days I walk away going, <laughs> Ooh, Mm-hmm. Gosh, that was a rough one. <laughs> and that's that's doing the work, you know. That's the important part of it. Um, and so it, it it takes time, and it, that's another thing people want a quick fix a lot of times. Um, oh yeah, I know I quick. did. Uh, <laughs> it's not quick, but it is is so valuable and so. And I'm I'm yeah. so glad you were able to, it's, to share it's that. Hard. With us. It's hard. It's hard. It is hard to get. Yeah. To and and you are talking to a complete stranger, and you're sharing like intimate details of your life. But you've got to be open to it, and you've got to be open to putting in the work, just like any relationship, because you're gonna have a relationship with your therapist. Now, it's not a friendship per se, or a, you know, like a relationship with a significant other, but you're gonna have a relationship with them, and it's gonna be work. Like you're gonna put in the work. They're gonna challenge you. Um, to get out of your comfort zone and, and it is not a quick fix and it takes a long time and it takes a lot of work. And like you said, sometimes it's just not easy and it's hurtful and you're going to cry and you're going <laughs> to feel emotional, <laughs> but you know, it is. It's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it. Um, okay. So the last thing I want you to share is just what, what would be one thing, if anything, you would want people to, to know after this or take away from this specific interview? Realistically, you're just not alone. You're not alone. And, um, there's so many support groups out there there, you know, you can stay anonymous. You don't have to, um, be as bold or emblazoned as Chelsea or I and put everything on Facebook or uh, blog about it for the world to see like I do or podcast about it. Um, But, you know, find somebody, find your somebody and know um, that you're not alone and, and reach out to somebody because it gets better. Um, There are resources for you and you're not alone. You're not crazy you're not making it up in your head and you're not being a drama queen and, um, and it's real and it happens and, uh, you're just, you're not alone. Okay. Thank you so much, Megan. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.